Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Well, hi everybody. Welcome to our weekly podcast. As you can tell, probably, I am not Dr. Pritt. I'm Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of Lab Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic here and President of Mayo Clinic Labs. Dr. Pritt is actually attending AECC this week. And so it falls to me to host our podcast today. And I have the good fortune actually of being joined by Dr. Jason Hip. Dr. Hip has been really one of the key new additions to Mayo Clinic here in the last six to eight months. And so, uh, Jason, I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. My name is Jason Hip. I'm an MD, PhD, board certified pathologist with fellowship training in pathology informatics. I spent most of my career in industry, being in the pharmaceutical industry and in big tech in Silicon Valley. I joined about three and a half months ago, Mayo Clinic as the chair of computational pathology and AI. Jason, thank you for joining us. So again, really, as we look to the future as Mayo Clinic, one of the things that we really see changing, not just the field of pathology, but actually the practice of medicine, is the advent of both digital pathology, as well as the introduction of machine learning and AI into not just laboratory medicine, but into medicine as a whole. Now, a lot of that focal point, I think, Jason, for the introduction of AI will be in our field of pathology because it is so data rich. I mean, if you think about it, anywhere from 70 to 80% of the quantitative information in anyone's health record is coming from the lab. Just from your experiences, pathology is sort of a natural landing spot for this kind of change disruption of people in medicine. Absolutely, and I really think that pathology is where we're gonna see a lot of the biggest innovations of AI for those exact reasons, because it's so data rich. We also have image data that's um, about a gigapixel, which is like thousands of iPhone camera images that are not being fully analyzed completely. So developing these tools to help pathologists do their job better, more efficient, and to do more novel and unique tools to impact and help patients. Let's talk a little bit more about that. As you mentioned, you trained in pathology. You went out into the world of industry and worked with a variety of companies like in the pharma industry, I think also with Google and others. And then you come back to a place like Mayo, we're so fortunate to have you. Where do you see the future? I mean, five years from now, how do you see this really impacting our daily practice? Yeah. So I really think Mayo has the unique environment to really make this big change and to make the big jump over the chasm to have a big impact for patients. There's been a lot of great papers showing the potential of digital pathology, nature, science, and a lot of other journals. However, we haven't really seen these tools being used in day-to-day practice of pathologists that have an impact. And that's where what drew me to Mayo Clinic is their expertise in translating discoveries from research into clinical impact. And that's where I really see the next few years coming up about seeing these tools being augmented the current pathology workflow so that pathologists can do their diagnosis better, faster, more efficient. And then also it's gonna be enabling them to see things that's typically unseen in pathology data. And I think that's gonna be very, very exciting for the future. Yeah, I think that's a really key point because I think a lot of people hear about, particularly pathologists, they hear about digital pathology 
a lot of physicians hear about artificial intelligence and medicine and, and everyone thinks about they're going to be replaced by, you know, a robot that they'll go in and they'll be a robot taking care of you, not a person. A couple of things come to mind for me. And, and just to remind people, I'm a hematopathologist by training. And really, I did a lot of lymphoma as well as bone marrow pathology. And we would spend years training, learning to recognize features in a histologic slide, and then associating that with other things that we know about disease states or about the patient. And that's a very traditional way to approach it. And we won't lose that. And that's really limited by our ability to absorb and recognize features and to remember back to a case that we had. That's why a lot of pathologists keep these glass slide sets where they would go back and look. Now you're talking about the ability to put all the information into an environment where a machine can actually interrogate it and look and start to make observations around things that it's just beyond our ability to actually make those associations, right? Yeah, exactly. And our uh, human cognition can only entertain about four to six variables at a time. And these algorithms can look at millions and millions of pixels and, to, and could correlate that. So while a human pathologist will maybe see about 50, 60 cases a day, looking at about three or four variables, algorithms can see hundreds of thousands of images a day and looking at thousands and thousands of features. So I really think that's where the impact is going to be. But computers, again, if you think about Jeopardy and Deep Blue, you know, these algorithms are great at small esoteric things. However, you need that human strategy and that balance is very, very critical. Yeah, I think that's right. Because on the one side, you said it before, we talk about how big these digital pathology slides are, the, the size of the image. And we think about that from storage, but I step back and think about how much information is in every h and &E. I mean, when you, we think about next generation sequencing and deep sequencing and proteomics, the h and &E image of the tissue is actually all those things combined. So all those features are there. Mm -hmm. And I think that on the one side, there's this potential to really unlock histology and take it to a whole different level than we've seen it before. And on the other, which will really improve patient care. I mean, ultimately, mm -hmm. that's what this is about, right? The other side, though, from a pathologist's perspective is that we know that globally, there's really a shortage of histopathologists. I've spent a lot of time in the UK. It's certainly an issue there. So there's also lots of things, I think you mentioned this before, which might even more, be more near term, where it's just going to improve our ability, rather than being replaced, it will improve the ability of a pathologist and ultimately other clinicians as well to interact with the information in, a more, in the most meaningful way, meaning that it's really once we interact with the information, we'll have all the workflows with digital support, we'll make sure that we're interacting with the stuff we really need to to make a decision and not a lot of ancillary information, correct? Absolutely. And also what we can imagine too early on is that while a center like Mayo, a lot of community hospitals distributed across the, uh, the country that don't have access to subspecialty care. So these algorithms are being shown to perform as good as a subspecialist. So you can imagine like a general practitioner pathologist leveraging these tools to get better care to their patients. So overall, I think our global population will have better pathology care. Really, when you start to think about it, and they've thought a lot about this with COVID, and we usually talk about this about COVID on this podcast, but there's the whole concept of access to care, you know, and, and having equitable access to care. And that these tools will start to increase accessibility of all people to really high quality care. Again, it doesn't mean the subspecialist will be replaced, but we know it might help direct a patient and a provider when that person really needs to see a subspecialist in that the data will indicate that this is a much more complex case than we're recognizing and that we really need interventions here. It might guide that intervention, but it, there will still be the human element of care. And I think a, a really good example of this 
that a lot of people might be familiar with are what we call sepsis sniffers. So sepsis is a condition, of course, where we know early recognition is key, and yet the features are so protean, meaning they're so commonplace that oftentimes it is missed. But this is now taking that in one isolated instance, I think, Jason, and making it more translatable across all of healthcare, correct? Absolutely. And we also got to think globally too. There's a lot of patients in some countries where uh, some countries in Africa only have access to one pathologist. So they're serving the whole entire country. And that's where a lot of these technologies can have an immediate impact. Yep. And networking too, right? Because not only can it help that person, but it can help that person network in ways that they don't have to package stuff up and send yep. it and all that other stuff. Yeah. So I think one of the things that had been on people's minds, because we're hearing a lot about this, there's a lot of energy around it. Is this five years from now? Is it 10 years from now? Is it three years from now? And I know we saw a pretty important uh, development last week, I think, in the field in terms of the first FDA approval of an algorithm to support a cancer diagnosis. Is that, am I right on that one? Absolutely. And it was for prostate cancer biopsy. And we know that this is a very subjective diagnosis by uh, non-experts. So the ability to generate you know, high quality data with an algorithm can really augment and help the pathologist. And the fact that the FDA is approving this type of technology really gives credence to what a lot of people in the past have been talking about as hype, AI and impacting clinical practice. And actually now we're, we're actually seeing that today. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of going full circle. We're starting to see that and, I, and, and starting to see the coming into clearer view of future state, we're not just pathologists, but probably all healthcare providers, at least in this country, are interacting with algorithms which are running in the background, helping them to do their jobs more effectively, more efficiently, helping to identify patients that need certain interventions or how they're gonna be managed. And we'll see that in the hospital. I think we'll start to see this even outside the hospital as we see more point of care testing and wearable devices and other things that we're hearing a lot about. So we're probably going to have a whole ecosystem of healthcare in which decisions are supported by observations are augmented by computers and by machines. And then the precision with which we act on them are also supported by things that are running in the background around decisions. Is, is, is that too absolutely. futuristic, or do you think that's No, hard? absolutely. And I also would add is that we can imagine it's much easier to get a second opinion. As you know, a lot of um, clinicians recommend having a second pathology uh, biopsy opinion, especially because of the variability inherent in the field. But now with these AI algorithms, you can think about this could be a relatively cheap and inexpensive way to get a whole second opinion, which can really imp- impact patient care. So a couple of things here to kind of close and that your comments bring to mind. Number one is that probably the reason that we are so enthused by this technology at Mayo is because we were really one of the, if not the first, one of the first integrated practices in the world. So our whole model of care is, is designed around bringing experts together around complex cases and all of us being able to interject our acumen and observations into that individual case. And, that, and we know from, that integrated care really works. I mean, you have this. And so, and we're not the only ones that are interested in providing it. But what we're seeing now is that this environment will enable that in two ways. Number one, there'll be some knowledge which is codified and made available without the person having to be there. And the other will help stratify and say, who needs this kind of level of teamwork? You don't have to come to a Mayo Clinic to get to that level of cooperativity in someone's care, I think, right? Absolutely. And I think the other piece of this, and it takes me back to, when I was talking about this publicly a few years ago, I think at the Executive War College with the Dark Report, and t- but talking about, of course, the fear for all of us is that, well, we're going to be, quote, replaced by machines, right? 
when the reality is that if you look at autonomous driving, the leading companies in autonomous driving are actually automated manufacturers because they understand mobility, they understand how people want to be in cars, and they understand that they need to participate in that disruption to make it most effective in driving societal change around access to vehicles. I think the same is true of medicine, right? We shouldn't be afraid of it. We need to understand it as best we can and embrace it because really we need providers, we need physicians, nurses, allied health staff, really thinking about how they care for patients and how these tools can make it better without worrying about being replaced. Is that too optimistic? No, no I, think, I think you bring up a great point with cars. And if you even want to expand it to airplanes, we can have a lot of technologies that can fly planes, but who's going to want to go on a plane that's being flown by a computer? You know, I think we still want that pilot there. And I think the same thing goes with clinical medicine, whether it's pathology or other disciplines. Yeah, well, it's a really exciting time. It's very exciting to have you here with that vision that you have, because again, it's really not just even about Mayo, it's about using what we have to help transport healthcare for all of us, right? And make it better. It's really great to have you here today. I look forward to having you back again, as we said, more of these tools come to fruition and we try to comprehend and get our heads around how to actually use them to their best effect. Absolutely, thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.